So I'm, I'm really excited to be here this morning. Um, I, I was surprised to see so many new faces. It's been a while since Trisha and I have been able to come up, um, but we always enjoy the, the hospitality, the warmth that we feel from all of you when we visit. And it, it, it is really, like Pastor was mentioning, it is a healing um, blessing to be able to, to be here with all of you. And my prayer is that I would be able to share something from the Word of God today that would touch our hearts. I know that I need to be reminded of the things that I'm going to be speaking about. And my prayer is that, you know, God will be here with us, that His Spirit would be a guiding presence, and that the Word would come alive um, to our hearts today. So if you would join me, let's have a short word of prayer, and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you humbly asking for your presence. Um, we are unworthy servants, um, but we marvel at the fact that you have chosen to bestow upon us so, man, so much grace, so much mercy, and so much love. And our, pray, our prayer today is that our hearts would be willing and open to accept the blessing that you have in your word for us this morning. We want to be able to come into contact with truth, and we want our hearts of stone to be broken down and replaced with new hearts of flesh. And I pray that that would be a reality here this morning, and that you would be able to work on our hearts. In your son's name we pray, amen. All right, so I'm, I, I don't really like these microphones too much. I feel like my ear is much too pliable to hold one of these things. Anyhow, I, like I said, I'm really excited to be here. Um, just to kind of get started, I, you know, as the pastor mentioned, I, I'm from Puerto Rico, and I grew up there. I, I love the island. It's, it's really a wonderful place. If you ever need a place to go to, that is a great place to vacation. Highly recommend it. But in Puerto Rico, you know, as, as Hispanics, there's this, you know, this reputation that precedes, and you know, there's, there's many things that precede us, but one of them is that we're known for not being super timely, you know? This is kind of the way it is. If you're a Hispanic, you oh yeah, 20 minutes extra, you know, it's probably right. And it's, it's, it's one of those things, you know, it just kind of becomes part of tradition, and it's just, you know, you make a joke of it, and oh, ha, ha, you know, like it's Puerto Rican time or, or Hispanic time or whatever, right? But what's interesting is, you know, time kind of means different things to different people. The fact is, there's a lot of really timely Hispanics, and I know that for a fact. Um, I, I, I can't say I'm for sure one of them, but there are many, you know, people that really, like Hispanic people that really make it a point to be on time, be early, you know, and, and, it's, just the, and it's just the way it is, right? But for other people, time is this kind of thing that is just very relative, you know, it, it's, they're not subject to time, it seems, and they just kind of go around, you know, in whatever way is most convenient for them, and they're fine, you know, it's just the way they live, and we all kind of experience time in slightly different ways. And the reason I bring this up is because when it comes to the Bible, the concept of time is something that is, is very, very constant. It's, it's, it's everywhere in the Bible, you know, there, there's, there's, these big trajectories of time where there's different themes that go on to different themes. There's these covenants that go on to another covenant. There's time prophecies. There's predictions. There's promises for future times. You know, time is something that just is so important to the story of the Bible. Now, when we think about time in the context of the Bible and where we're living, you know, in, in Bible prophecy today, you know, we, we all, I'm sure, we agree that 
you know, we're living in very important times, in times where there are a lot of big issues at stake, things that are happening, um, things that we look forward to. And the question that I ask myself is, you know, how, how is the concept of time, how is the idea of time affecting my spirituality? And the reason I think this is important is because when we look at the Bible, there are a group of people that took time very seriously. And I want you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Isaiah, book of Isaiah, chapter 21. And there's this, this little hint in this passage of a group of people that takes time very seriously. Book of Isaiah, chapter 21, and verse 11. Isaiah 21, verse 11 says, The burden of Duma. He calleth to me out of Seir, Watchman, what of the night? Watchman, what of the night? And the watchman said, The morning cometh, and also the night. If you will inquire, inquire ye, return, come. So this passage, you know, in first reading, feels a little cryptic in a way. But it's describing this, this man who is calling out to a person, a watchman, who is sitting up in the tower, right? And he, what, what is the question that is asked of the watchman? Can anyone tell me? What of the time, right? And in a way, if we want to say this in a slightly more modern way, the person is asking, what time is it? Okay? And I, there, there are other translations that kind of clarify that a little bit. But in essence, this is a scenario that is actually not unusual in the daily life of a person that was living in a city like Jerusalem. So the night falls, right? And they have this period of time in which a city is vulnerable to a surprise attack. And what is the best prevention for somebody sneaking up on you? Having somebody watching, right? So they have the system set up in these times in which, you know, they have a man sitting up on towers where, the, you know, between all of them, they have a complete view of all the surroundings of the city. And whenever something approaches, the watchman let, gives out a cry. And so the whole city is able to find out the threat to the city. Now, there's a second function to these people, these men that worked very faithfully. You know, he said most nights nothing happened. So this man is sitting up there and he has nothing else to do. But in order to be useful to people, these men also were the people that kept track of time during the night. So if you were walking around and there were, you were near the wall and there was a watchman up in the tower, you could ask of the watchman, what of the night? What time is it? And the watchman could tell you what block of time during the night they were on. Why? Because obviously one man can't be up all night and still be alert, so they took turns. And so that's why, you know, when we look at the New Testament, and even the Old Testament, there's a lot of references to the different watches as, as kind of like a unit of time. So if I remember correctly, there are, let me look it up, there are, there are multiple watches. They, they, I think they were three hours long each. And so a man would be up for three hours. He would be keeping watch. You know, the next guy would come to take his place, and then the watch would switch. And I think it was from 6 to 9, 9 to 12, so on and so forth. And that was the way in which kind of people were able to know what part of the night they were of. Anyhow, these, these men were, were very privileged because they, they themselves had on them the responsibility for the safety of the whole city. And I want you to go with me to another verse. verse Psalms chapter 90, and this is something that we read. 
Psalms chapter 90, verse 12. Psalms chapter 90, verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And this is kind of this, this sort of poetic phrase in which King David is, is kind of inspiring us to not ignore time, to not allow time to simply be something that doesn't matter, that has no effect on the way we live, but to be something that gives urgency to our existence and urgency to the reason of our being. And I want you to, as we go along, we're going to be looking at the role, the roles, the responsibility, the lives of, of watchmen in the Old Testament. And as we go through this, I want you to see yourself as somebody with a similar responsibility, especially when we think about the urgency of our message, the importance of what we have in the scriptures, in the word of God. When we think, about, when we think of that in contrast to the need that the world has of a revelation of Jesus Christ, the need the world has to be warned of what is to come. I want you to think of yourself as one of these watchmen standing on the wall, looking out for danger and keeping track of time and events. So now, this, this verse, Psalms chapter 90, calls to us to keep track of time, to number our days, to be watchful, and during that time to apply our hearts unto wisdom. So what does that mean? Watchmen weren't always a priority in the Old Testament. There are times in which watchmen weren't really a big deal. What do you think were the circumstances in which a watchman was extremely necessary? During time of war, right, specifically. So if you have a known threat to your city, that is the time in which your watchmen have to be on top shape, right? So you can imagine if you have, if you have a city that's under threat, when, you're, when the time comes to choose your watchman, are you going to choose just any old guy or any young lazy person to be your watchman? No, right? You want to have the very best of people watching your city, right? And so that means that this is a person that has been proven to be able to handle responsibility. They're proven to be, you know, able to stay up and to be alert and to be concentrated, you know. I know all of us have had moments in which sleep just overtakes our ability to, to, to do things, right? And, and we've, we've felt those moments. Maybe if you're driving and you've been driving for a little bit too long, and, you know, a little bit too late, you know how dangerous it can be to have that feeling, you know, where you feel like your consciousness is leaving you and you're on the road, you know? And those are the kinds of things that these men had to prevent at all costs. They had to have 100% concentration and alertness 100% of the time. Because one moment in which a watchman falls asleep or looks away or gets distracted, what happens to the vulnerability of the city? It's, it's wide open, right? Anything can happen. And that is, that is one reason why there are actually multiple passages that describe how these watchmen were actually people that had very high reputations. They were respected. They were honored for their job because of the huge responsibility that was placed upon them, right? And so what do they do? You know, they're very simple. They have to stay up. They have to warn of danger. And I want you to go with me really quickly to Isaiah chapter 56, verse 10. This is kind of like a very classic passage on some of the responsibilities that is placed, or the responsibilities that are placed on these watchmen. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 10. is describing a... The, 
the prophet here is using watchmen as an illustration for the condition of God's people during this time. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 10 says, All their watchmen are blind. They are unaware. All of them are like mute dogs, unable to bark. They pant, lie down, and love to snooze. So imagine a blind watchman that loves to sleep. Can you imagine the picture that this creates of a sense of, of, of being exposed, of being in danger if you're somebody that lives in that city? And this is the kind of condition that a people or, or uh, that people, God's people would be in when God's people fail to carry out their responsibilities. And then thirdly, like I said, the, the third really big thing related to these watchmen is that they had great responsibility over the people. But now, we, you know, the, the idea of a watchman is very intuitive. We all feel like it makes total sense. But now let's think about what the responsibility is in contrast to ours today. So these are... You know, what is their message? Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 16. What is it that these watchmen proclaim? Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse... Actually, verse, chapter 31 and verse 6. Chapter 31 and verse 6. And it says, For there shall be a day that that watchman upon the Mount Ephraim shall cry, Arise ye, and let us go up to Zion unto the Lord our God. And I'm going to read that one more time. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 6. There shall be a day that the watchman upon that Mount Ephraim shall cry, Arise ye, and let us go up to Zion unto the Lord our God. So this is a very prophetic verse. It's saying that there's going to come a time in which there are watchmen, and watchmen will be the individuals, the people called upon to let out the cry of an approaching Zion. And what, is, what does Zion mean to you in terms of Bible metaphors and Bible history? Second coming, right? Originally, Zion was the place where God dwelt, you know, the, the city Jerusalem, and it served as a metaphor for a city to come, right? So when the city is, 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 is nigh, is, is getting close to arriving, what is the one thing that is necessary for people to know that it is getting close? What people are necessary? Watchmen, okay? So we, we know that these are people that have to stay awake. They cannot sleep. or They have to stay awake. They have to know what time it is. And their role has a, has a prophetic component in that they will be the ones who will give the warning of an approaching new Jerusalem, an approaching second coming. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 52, verse 8. And we kind of want to um, expand that a little bit. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 8. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 8 says, Listen, your watchmen shout. In unison, they shout for joy, for they see with their very own eyes the Lord's return to Zion. And this is kind of a mental picture that is being made of a time in which the watchmen are actually seeing the Zion returning. And what is the response of watchmen to the approach or the second coming of Jesus Christ? How, what, what's the response that is recorded in this mental picture that is made? 
they have joy, they're cheerful, they're excited. This is something that fills them with passion. Why? They've been watching for this for so long, and finally they see the object they are looking for. So as you can see, you know, when we think of watchmen, and this is something that for me is very enlightening, when we think of watchmen, we think of people that watch for bad things that are about to happen. But that's not the only role that watchmen have. Watchmen also watch for good things that are about to happen to a city. Let's go to another passage, Isaiah chapter 21. Isaiah chapter 21, verses 6 through 9. This is a very different kind of role that one would normally imagine for a watchman. Isaiah chapter 21, verses 6 through 9. And it reads, For thus has the Lord said to me, Go set a watchman. Let him declare what he sees. And I want you to take note of that. Set a watchman that he will declare what he sees. Verse 7, And when he sees a troop, horsemen on pairs, a troop of donkeys, a troop of camels, he shall, he shall listen diligently with much heed. He cried as a lion, Lord, I stand continually on the watchtower in the daytime, and I am set in my ward whole nights. And behold, here comes a troop of men, horsemen in pairs. He answered, Fallen, fallen is Babylon, and all the engraved images of her gods are broken to the ground. There is so much to be said from this passage. First of all, we start off with the description of what qualifies a reason for a warning. Can a watchman warn for something that he or she has not seen? No, right? It's a very big requirement. A watchman only warns for something that he himself or he herself, she herself has seen with their very own eyes. Yes or no? If a watchman warns of something that they have not seen, they automatically become an untrustworthy watchman. And so that is why at the very beginning of this description of the, of the duty of these watchmen in this very particular situation, the very first description is that he has to declare what he sees. Let's keep that in the back of our minds. Then he goes on to say and describe in detail what it is that he's seeing. He describes horses, donkeys, and camels in you know, battle array, arranged for battle, approaching. Secondly, verse 8, how, how is the cry, how is the, the, the warning described that this man makes? Is there, is there a, some way in which this, the, the cry is described? Sorry? Like a lion, right? How does a lion roar? Have you guys been to the San Diego Zoo by any chance? Not lately. They, I, I, they, they have, we, we went not, not too long ago, and they have these lions, and their, their roar can be heard clear across the park. And you know that the park is, is, is a very big one. And you know, when they, they let off their roar, you can, you can hear, I, I've heard that you can hear it for miles when you do it, when, when they roar in the wild, you know, in, in the big open plains. You can hear it for miles. So when this man is described as crying as a lion, you can be sure that he is using every little bit that he can to make sure that as many people hear his cry. Right? So first requirement, he has to warn of things that he has seen. Secondly, he describes in detail what it is that he sees. He doesn't simply say things are approaching, right? He says with precision exactly what it is that is approaching and what a threat is to the city. And secondly, he does this with a cry of a lion with the very loudest voice that he can muster. Okay, so we're building a picture of what a good watchman looks like in this image. Then verse 
Verse 8 continues to describe what kind of commitment this man has, where he says he, con he stands continually on the watchtower in the daytime, and he is set on his ward continually in the nighttime. So I don't know how realistic this is in, in, in terms of you know, whether there were actually men that did this for 24 hours straight, but what it is describing is a man who, according to his own words, is watching for how long? Consistently, all the time. He is in his post nonstop. He takes no breaks. He is constantly on the duty doing what it is that he was committed to do by the city that has hired him, right? So it's a man who declares what he sees. He declares with precision what it is that he sees. He stands in his place constantly, no breaks. And what was the other one? He cries like a lion, with the strongest voice that he can muster. Now in verse 9, he describes these, these horsemen coming in pairs, and the answer, the answer is said, or, or is replied, describing what it is that the watchman is seeing as, fallen, fallen is Babylon, and all the engraved images of her gods are broken to the ground. Now, I'm sure this brings up another passage in the New Testament? Yes or no? Yes, right? We see another very important cry that is made in Revelation, right? Where is that found? Revelation 14. And in this, in this, this beautiful passage in Revelation 14, there's so much that could be said. But one of the things that I want you to think about is that in Revelation 14, there is this essential message that needs to be told. Let's actually go there. I want you to be able to see this with your own eyes. Revelation chapter 14. It, it is a message that has unspeakable importance to the whole world. And for that reason, it has to be delivered with a certain level of precision and a certain level of speed and a certain level of volume. So let's go ahead and Read Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, and kindred, and tongue, and people, saying with a, what kind of a voice? Loud voice. Fear God, and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven's or heaven, and earth, and the sea, and the fountains of water. Let's stop there for a second. First of all, the obvious thing is it's done with a loud voice. We know that. It's, it's intuitively logical to know that a message that is important should be said with a loud voice. But most importantly, the message that is said is, is, is a message that warns of something that is near, something that is approaching, something that is at the door. Why would something that is at the door be important to know? It's, it's important to know when it has personal bearing or personal significance to the person that is the recipient of the message. And I feel like I said that in a more complicated way than is necessary, so let me try to rephrase. A message of warning for something to come is only necessary, is only important when it has bearing upon the person that is receiving the message. So it's given with a loud voice, and it is given simply because there's something that is coming that everyone needs to know about because it has importance to their eternal life. Let's keep reading. Verse 
8. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Verse 9. And the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark on his forehead or on his hand, verse 10, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And it, it keeps going, but let's stop there for a second. So the first angel's message is a call to worship, a call to acknowledge the creator. The second call is a warning. And this is the one that kind of connects us back to what we were reading just now in Isaiah chapter 21. This is a warning of a system that is fallen, a system that is about to fail people, a system that is about to disappoint the hopes of humanity. You know, we know from reading other, other portions of Revelation that this apostate system of belief has been set up not as some kind of, you know, it's, it's not advertised as some kind of oppressive power, but it really is advertised as something that is going to give riches and blessing and, and greatness to everyone that follows it. You know, when we, when we see imagery of this Babylon power, we don't see the imagery of a, a poor person or a person in, in rags or somebody who is, you know, suffering greatly in life. Whenever the, 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 the beast of Babylon is presented, you know, we see, for example, a woman that is dressed extravagantly, you know, drinking from the golden cup, the blood of the saints that she has trampled. We see, you know, golden crowns. We see all of these, these images of, of excess and, and, and promises of, of greatness. And, and that is the reason why it's also described as having all the kings of the earth, what? Following after there's a reason why people follow things. Things have to be promised. Things have to be, you know, hoped for when you follow somebody, especially if it's somebody that has, you know, false pretenses. There has to be something that they're offering. And so we see this warning. And this is not just a warning saying, you know, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. This is a warning that is saying, people, my friends, my brothers, the thing that you have put all of your hope and dreams and, and, and everything that you have, all of everything that you've put into this system of belief, it is going to fail you. And it is about to fail you very, very near in the future. And this kind of failure isn't just something that, oh, you know, too bad I lost some money, or oh, too bad I lost this. This is the kind of failure in which the very life existence, the very hope of a person's being in the future is going to be let down by their placing of belief into this apostate system of religion. And so when we see this warning in Revelation chapter 14, warning of a Babylon that is falling, we don't give this warning of a fallen, falling system of belief simply because it is fun to see people disappointed, but because we want to prevent the disappointment that is near to come if people retain their faith, retain their hopes in a system that is apostate, that rejects Christ, that rejects his grace, and that rejects the sacrifice that he does for us. So when we see... A watchman in Isaiah chapter 21, verses 6 through 9, describing that what he sees coming is a system of belief, a system of religion that is going to disappoint millions, that is going to prevent millions from finding the truths of God's salvation 
process, the truths of his mercy in our lives, what we are seeing is a, a system that is hurting people. And so this watchman, his responsibility is to prevent more hurt, to prevent more disappointment, to prevent lives from being lost. And that really is the point of a watchman, to prevent that. And so he sees these horses approaching. He sees the things that are about to happen. And can you imagine yourself as somebody sitting in the watchtower, seeing what is about to happen? Behind you are the countless lives of people you see on the market every day, people that you interact with, maybe your own family sleeping soundly in their beds. When you see that approaching, wouldn't you not have a reaction that would cause you to cry with the voice of a lion? To hopefully prevent as many people from having to experience the suffering, the pain, and the disappointment that this false system of belief brings upon your family and your friends. And that is why, my friends, I feel like, and this is something that I, I long for myself and I seek for in my own heart, when I, when I read the Bible, it cannot be something that is clinical and something that is sterile. You know, I was talking with, with Trisha last night, my wife, and we were, we, were, we were talking about how easy it is to sometimes see the Bible as something so theoretical. I spent all of my day, all of my day, trying to figure out how to learn information as fast as I possibly can using as little time as I possibly can. That is literally all my life. And I feel like sometimes that translate into, translates into how I approach the scriptures. And I think this is not exclusive to somebody that does what I do. I think this can be something that can also be maybe something you can relate to in your own life, where it is easy to see the Bible as something in which I have to learn as many facts as I possibly can, as fast as possible, or I have to ingest as much as I can, as fast as I can, but really sometimes forgetting the fact that information is not valuable unless it has meaning, unless it has an effect, unless it actually works a change in whatever it is that it's interacting with. And that is, that, that is the reason why when we read things like Revelation 14, Revelation, you know, the, the different messages that it is our burden to share today, we shouldn't simply think of it as, okay, how can I dissect the pre with precision the exact words that it is my responsibility to say, but really to be able to put ourselves in the place of a person that is carrying out the message of this powerful angel with a loud voice. And what, it is, what does it mean to me in relation to my mother, in relation to my cousin, in relation to my coworker? What does it mean to me to have this information? And what is the best way for me as a watchman to really be able to give the warning that will prevent them from falling into the disappointment that it is the apostate system of Babylon. Babylon isn't just an organization. It isn't just a movement. It isn't just a theory of a belief. It is a system that causes pain. And it is a system that will cause a lot more pain in the very near future unless people like you and people like me take our watchmen responsibilities a little bit more seriously. So let me summarize a little bit. We know that watchmen need to know what time it is. They need to not sleep. They need to take seriously the responsibilities that they have over people. But when it comes to what the message is, what their role is, we know that, first of all, they will be the people that will warn of a new, soon-to-come second coming. And secondly, they will be the people that will declare the folly and the, the, and the pain to be had by following apostate systems of belief. 
Now, I want you to go to another set of verses, Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5. And there's something interesting. Actually, yeah, go to Amos chapter 5, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to the verse that we read in the beginning as you are looking for Amos chapter 5. When we started off on this message, we read Isaiah chapter 21, where we see this man asking, you know, he calls, I'm going to just read it. He calls to me out of seer, watchman, what of the night? Watchman, what of the night? The watchman said, the morning comes and also the night. If you will inquire, inquire ye, return, come. So a, a concept that I'm seeing here is that a watchman is somebody, unlike a lot of other people, maybe, a watchman is somebody who sees the coming and going of time in a way that most others will never experience. He's, he's, he's somebody who sees, at least from the description I get here, he's somebody who sees the night arriving, and then he's the one who sees the morning arriving. And he sees the cycle going on and on and on. And there's something to be said about what, what would that do to your, your own self-reflection when you get to perceive the passing of time in, in, in such a way as that. So if you go with me again to Amos chapter 5 and verse 8. And I want you to, to, to kind of think about this verse a little bit. Amos chapter 5 verse 8 says, Seek him that makes the seven stars in Orion and turns the shadow of death into the morning and makes the day dark with night that calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the face of the, of the earth. The Lord is his name. So there's this, this verse is a little bit more subtle. So I want you to think about what it's saying. Amos here is saying that, at least this is how I'm reading it so far. What I'm seeing is Amos describing that when a human being, somebody who is attentive and conscious of the presence of God, when a human being is exposed to the natural functions of nature, the natural passing of time, the natural functioning of the universe around us, when somebody is exposed to that, it leads to something. It, it, it creates questions. It creates wonder in the mind. Can you think about a moment in your life in which maybe you found yourself in a position, in a place, in a mountaintop, in a desert, in a, in a beach, somewhere in which the natural function of the world around you made you wonder, made you think, made you look up, made you marvel at the existence of somebody greater than you, somebody above you. And this verse kind of puts that natural reaction and, 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 and puts a path to it. It puts a response to it where it says that when you are exposed to the seven stars in Orion, going from night to morning, when the morning is able to come, when you see water falling from the sky, all these things... It says it should, the natural response to these things should be to, what's the first two words? To seek him. Furthermore, it says that the one that we are seeking is the one in the very end of the verse where it says that the Lord is his name, the one responsible for the passing of time, for the, the seasons coming in and going out, for the rain and the snow and everything that works around us. And so, I, I, I really don't know what a response is to, what kind of responses the watchman had, but I do believe 
that as men and people that were exposed to the passing of time in, day in, day out, morning comes, nightfall comes, that the natural or the logical response to something like that would have been to seek God with all of their hearts. So I've kind of summarized some of the different roles that I, I have seen watchmen take in the scriptures. And I've alluded to the fact that you and I are called to be watchmen in the times in which, in which we live. And the reason why I think this is something that is important is a message has urgency, especially when it is attached to, to nearness, to something that is approaching. If, if you take away all concepts of the passing of time or the approach of events or of, the, of, of, of a time lapse of anything happening in the scriptures, when you take all that away from the scriptures, you have less of a burden, if, if, you, if, you, if you choose to say that. You have less of a, there's less weight, to what, or not weight, urgency. There's less urgency to what is said. If there's anyone here like me, urgency does wonders for helping you get stuff done. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I, you know, people tell me, ask me, you know, how things are in medical school. And something that I, I tell them is, the, the one positive thing is it's really hard to procrastinate in medical school because you always feel like you're behind and you always feel urgency and you always feel like you're about to, to you know, completely lose out on, on, on everything that you have to do. So the urgency, and at least for me, creates a sense of, of more diligence, right? And so if, if you have something to do that is due two weeks from now, and anyone who's had an essay to write for, for any class knows that most people don't write the essay at the beginning of the course. Most people write the essay when? Unfortunately, the night before, yeah. And, 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 and if you notice, that night before, you work with such speed and such efficiency, and you just, you're just typing away and just going so fast, and, you know, it, it just the way humanity works. Unfortunately, we, we need urgency. We need pressure to, you know, get us to move forward. And that is why it makes me, like, sometimes I wonder, like, why is it if God knew how much time was going to transpire, you know, before his coming, why is it that the issue of the nearness of God's coming was such a big deal for the Advent, like, the early Advent church? Why is the second coming of Christ even a topic at all for people in the apostolic times? Why would that even be something that is relevant if not for the fact that Christianity, the, the, a belief in a God, requires urgency? It requires something that pushes you, that moves you forward, that has something that you can look forward to. And any form of religion that takes away this beautiful sense of urgency, I feel, takes away such a big chunk of the power that God wants his message to have. Because sure, the gospel, you can, you can preach the gospel without any context of, of time or urgency. You can preach the gospel without telling people that we are nearing very, very important times in earth's history. We can preach the gospel maybe without you know, saying that Jesus is going to come back very soon, although you probably can't, but let, let's say you could. And maybe you could get a lot of benefit from it. Maybe people would feel good about it. Maybe they could experience 
good things from it, but they would be missing out on some of the most important blessing, one of the most important blessings that God wants to be able to give you and I, and that is that sense of urgency. Anyhow, so I think I'm running out of time. Let us, let us just kind of conclude with the idea of what it is, what, is, what does it mean to be a watchman living in 2016? What does it mean to be somebody who takes this responsibility seriously? And I, I'm, I'm going to describe five quick verses on the things that you and I can do every single day to make sure that we are a more efficient watchman, a more faithful watchman, a watchman that takes the times in which we live more seriously. So first of all, like I was saying, one of the things that watchman needs to know is what time it is. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. I'm, I'm sure you know this verse, but please, please read it with me. It's such a powerful, powerful verse. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. It says, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. And I want you to think about the fact that in order for you to awake out of sleep, what do you need to do? What do you need to have? According to this verse, if you connect the sentence structure, knowing the time, that, that is what allows you to then know and be able to awake out of sleep. Yeah. Knowledge is what allows you to, to have the ability to awaken out of a sleep that we all know is poisonous to the Christian experience. Okay. And when I'm talking about time, you know, it's, it's easy for us to get confused and think, oh, you know, is, is, he, is he wanting us to, to, to actually count numbers? Maybe. But what I'm trying to, I think it goes down to a much more basic level than that. I think it goes down to the fact that we need a sense of urgency and we need to live as if Christ is coming in the extremely near future. Exactly, tomorrow. And that is the kind of urgency that I feel a watchman needs in order to be effective, in order to be efficient. Secondly, what is another very important characteristic of a watchman and something that we, you and I could do well to follow is found in Isaiah chapter 62, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 62, verse 6. And it says, I post watchmen on your walls. O Jerusalem, that they should keep praying all day and all night. You who pray to the Lord, don't be silent. And I love this verse. There's, all these verses have so much that could be said. But, you know, first of all, something, just as a side note, notice who it, is, who it is that is placing watchmen. It is God. So when we, when we see that, you know, this, this beautiful responsibility that you and I have, it is a God given commission. It is not something that simply comes out of, you know, whatever else is your source of the commission, but it comes directly from God. But secondly, what is a habit that keeps a watchman faithful, alert, and effective in times of trouble, according to this verse? What, is, what are habits that keep a watchman on track? Prayer. So when God is saying, I am putting watchmen on your walls, his expectation is, according to this verse, that in order for them to be effective, they have to be in a state of prayer throughout their watch. 
You know, I think that is phenomenal. I think that is so eye-opening to think that a watchman's effectiveness, a watchman's alertness during the night can be improved by a constant communion with the God who commissioned them for this job. And I know I think about what that means for my life, and I hope you will too. How it maybe is my prayer life keeping me from being alert, being efficient, being an effective watchman for Christ in the times in which I live. Thirdly, Psalms 127. Psalm 127. 127. 127. Another characteristic of a watchman. And this is just a, a wonderful promise. 127 verse 1 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. And this is, this, you know, in a way, this kind of, if you really think about it, it kind of, you could say, why are watchmen even needed, right? Because what is the verse saying? The verse is saying that unless God is the one keeping the city, I mean, watchmen are useless. They're not going to do anything, right? So why does God even need watchmen? He's, on this verse, at least what I'm, I'm, I'm gleaning for myself is the fact that as watchmen, we have to live. We have to live in a constant state of faith in the power of God's word to do what it says it will do. So when God says he will keep the city, when I watch, I watch only, only under the promise of the fact that he said so. And because he said so, what? It will be. And that is the only reason we watch. That is the only reason we watch. So when we see danger coming, when we decide that it is time to warn our neighbor, to warn our family, to warn our spouse of, of, of threats to our spirituality, threats to our future, threats to the, 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 the health of our relationship with God, when we, when we know it's time to watch, we don't do so based on our effectiveness as watchmen. We don't do so based on how good I have been in the past at warning people. We do so exclusively under the belief and in faith that it is God the one that watches. And I am simply an instrument, an extension of his watch and something that allows him to reach this person in a way that is different, in a way that hopeful will be that one warning that will, will turn this person around. And I think that's, that's something that for me is so encouraging to know that all I need to be an effective watchman is to have faith that God is doing the work for me. Amen. And then number four, Psalms 119, verse 148, another very good habit for a watch person to have. Psalms 119, 148, verses, verse 148. Mine eyes anticipate, the, the King James says prevent, but another word for it is anticipate. My eyes anticipate the night watches that I might what? Meditate in the word or in thy word. So this is, this is a, a, something that a watchman would utter as an expression of their desire. They're looking forward to their shift, their time and duty. Why? Because it is those moments of silence in which they are able to meditate and apply and digest and allow the word of God to have an effect in their hearts. And I, I, I think that should also be a reality in our lives, to, 
make our efforts, our, our responsibility as, as watchmen an opportunity to allow the Lord to have a greater effect on our hearts. And lastly, and I just want to leave you with this message. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. This is the time in which we talk and we decide what it is that you and I have been called to do in a very personal level. I hope that the scripture has made it clear to you that we have a responsibility in these last days. I don't think I need to tell you guys that we live in times in which there's, there are so many threats to true Bible Christianity, to an understanding of the scripture, to a, an effort to make people whole, and an effort to restore people to a better state of being. You know, there's, there's even threats to efforts of, of, of complete healing sometimes in, in our own systems of healthcare. In, in that context, I ask myself, what is my responsibility as a watch person commissioned by God? So Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, we know this verse. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light can a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Does a watch, can a watchman do his work in his bedroom? Yeah. No. Can a watchman do his work down below the wall? Can a watchman do his work anywhere but at the very top with the very best view with the most exposure? That is where he needs to be. That is where he's able to give his message, his loud lion cry. And my prayer for us today, my friends, is that we would start by simply first deciding to believe in faith that God is the one that is doing the watching and that it is my responsibility to be a faithful watchman. And secondly, I think this is a good place for all of us to start. Secondly, let us make it a point to expose ourselves more to people, to friends, to family, to allow our hearts to be opened a little bit more when it comes time to hear somebody's struggle, to hear somebody's problem, to hear somebody's disappointment in their system of belief, to allow ourselves to be more open to those opportunities, to be watchmen in which we can tell people, there is something so much better that I, I want to share with you. There's, there's, there's a, a message for you at this time. There's a prayer to be had with you. There's a, a comforting deed, a comforting hug, a comforting word, a, a, an act of service, something that will help this person on their path of turning around from a system of belief that hurts them and disappoints them. And so as we leave today, I want to ask you that you would think about ways in which maybe you could be a more faithful watchman. Maybe that's Somebody that you see on a regular basis that you want to be a better friend for. Somebody that you want to start praying for on a more regular basis. You know, a, a project that you've had in the back of your mind for service, for, for blessing somebody that you've just been postponing for, for much too long. My prayer is that we will decide to not be the kind of watchmen that fall asleep, that are blind, and that have no voice. But watchmen that take their responsibility seriously and that have an accurate understanding of the need and the urgency of the times in which we live.